Well, hello, Be Joyful Church. Uh, it is awesome to be with you. I wish you could all be right here. It's so much fun to be with the whole crew again today, or many of them. Man, I uh, can't wait till everyone gets to cycle through here, and uh, ah, it's just good to be with you guys. I uh, want to just shout out to all of the young adult groups. I think there are three different young, young adult groups meeting in house churches today, so uh, socially distance, elbow high five to all of you. Uh, yeah, it is, it's, so, it's so cool to know that y'all are out there. Um, and we understand that not everyone is going to be able to be in a house church. Obviously, we want to push towards that. We want you to gather. If you can get together with one other family, one other person, if you're single, it doesn't matter. Um, let's just be together while we're uh, just in fellowship or around the word and singing and stuff to, to our Lord and, and worshiping him. As Tyler prayed, uh, we, we just want to, to follow that uh, desire to go together and what we see in the scripture over and over and over again. So um, however you can connect, please do. If you need to watch it alone, uh, at this at, at home alone, that, that's great. Do that. But um, if you can get together, do it. So uh, welcome to everyone. Uh, we are in this series we're calling Disruption. You saw that little video that Tyler put together, pretty cool stuff. Um, and we're following different li- lives of different ones of the Old Testament prophets. And we're going to walk alongside them and see how in situations that uh, that they were faced with, they brought knowledge of the one true stable God into unstable times. And so each one of those prophets that we look at, we're going to want to see the, uh, the, story, the situation that they were in, the story of the Hebrew people that they were speaking into, that they were growing up in, that, that they were challenged with, and, and all, all of the situations uh, that we're going to come across are, are uh, rough. They're destabilized. They're... Uh, There are times where people feel unease and even great danger comes upon their lives. And so the the prophets are speaking into that or even speaking about it coming. And so uh, what I want to do today is take you to Moses. And Moses is who Jesus starts with. If you were with us last week, Jesus describes to these people uh, the story of the scripture as it points to him and all the prophets and how they point to him. And so he starts, it says, with Moses. And so I feel like that's a pretty good place for us to start. Moses is like the George Washington of prophets. So he is the guy who we all look back to and say, okay, he started the whole thing off. His character, uh, he was used in a very special way to set the tone for everything that would come after. So we're going to go there. We're going to be, as, as you heard, uh, in the reading this morning, we're going to start in Deuteronomy 18. So if you're moving to your scripture there, you can find it. Uh, so I want to ask you guys to do something as we start off. And that is, in this case, put yourself in the place of the Israelite people where they were at the time that Moses is going to share with them the stuff we're going to talk about today, especially in Exodus and Deuteronomy. So um, What I like to do when I'm thinking about understanding the word is try to really settle in and picture myself in my, my, literally my setting in that world. And I think it's really uh, an appropriate thing to do in this case because uh, these are, these are folks who, let's just tell a story and you try to take your, if you're single, if you're married, if you have kids, if you have, if you're, wherever your family situation is. Um, try to draw in those folks that you have important relationships with and picture yourself going through what the Israelite people went through. So here they are. They're slaves in the kingdom of Egypt. Now, we've all heard that story. We all know that. I mean, whether you're part of the, the Bible growing up or not, 
you and will understand uh, this picture of slavery in the time of the pharaohs. So it was not a pleasant place to grow up. In fact, it was so egregious that this is where God decided to bring his servant Moses, the prophet Moses, into this, uh, that situation to bring his people out. It was so uh, desperate. So here they are. Someone comes along that they don't know that much about. He's 80 years old. Moses has been gone for 40 years. And he uh, pries the fingers of the Pharaoh loose upon the pe- of, from the people of, uh, of Israel. And through these series of horrible plagues, these terrible things that happen to everyone, he, uh, he brings them out, right? So they're already in a terrible situation, and they're trying to decide whether they can trust Moses. Imagine your family. You're extremely poor. You're, you have no control over your life whatsoever. And someone comes in and says, I'm speaking for God and brings all of these miraculous things. Then uh, you're, you decide, okay, I'm going to trust this. I'm going to go with this. And then you have all of these uh, things that happen in their lives, especially when you come to, to the sea. They cross the sea. There, there are all these um, situations that bring uh, disruption upon them. They're, now they're in the desert and they don't know where they're going. So hundreds of thousands of people, the Israelite people are in the desert. They have uh, all of their possessions are with them. They're pulling them along. They have their animals, their extended families. They're camping in the desert. So uh, they've gone from one place of, of desperation to one of unknown circumstances, not knowing where they're going. Uh, and they're trusting someone to lead them that they, they actually don't know. But they're believing in a God who they do know and who they know is out there. So they have no warriors. They have no chariots. They have no horses. They have no confident knowledge of where they're going. But there's a sense of optimism and hope but it's balanced by fear and instability and danger. And I just, I feel like that's not unlike uh, how I feel right now. I have a sense of optimism about what's coming. But just yesterday, I read an op-ed about the fact that the United States is going to go into the uh, depression worse than the one we experienced in, in the past. That, uh, then I read another thing that says that things are going to be great, like tomorrow. So uh, there is no common thread of understanding of where we're going. No one knows where we're headed. And so for me, that creates a lot of destabilization. And I know that many of us are feeling different levels of suffering around this. And if we aren't, we know people who are suffering. So I don't think it is incorrect to sort of place ourselves in the context of the, the Hebrew people. There's optimism and there's hope but they're exposed, they're in a place of danger, and they don't know what's coming next. So we can be there with them as we see what Moses does to bring them such important information. And that's where we're headed. Uh, What we're going to see today is that God is going to speak through Moses to reveal his mission of redemption. Okay, that's the simple place that we're going today. God speaks through Moses to reveal his mission of of redemption. All right, and so uh, that, me- that message that Moses shares unfolds over a long period of time, but a lot of it is concentrated in this period while they're on their way to the promised land, which they actually reject, right? But on, on their way, 
God uses Moses to reveal to them such important truth about who he is. And so I want to read from Exodus 15, 13. This is where Moses is going to summarize this truth uh, about God. He says, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. All right, what Moses is doing there, this is a piece of his song that he sings over the people, this sort of a psalm that he writes uh, to celebrate God after they've been brought through the Red Sea and finally have been completely redeemed from Egypt. They've been set free. So uh, what he is doing is, is sharing these little pieces of truth that are absolutely grounding for us uh, in our understanding of who God is and what he's doing. And, and what I want to do is ask you to, to do this by way of application. Um, let these words and this truth about God help ground you in who he is in his word. Okay? So if you look at the scripture time and time again, what we see is people returning to the truth of the word of God to, to help lead them through the most difficult times of life. When we go to the word of God, when we embrace it and put it in our hearts, it's like finding a solid shelter in the most heinous storm. We are protected, we're, we're secure, there's supply, there's shelter, the ground is not moving. And that is what it is to know and, and uh, truly build the word of God into our hearts. I want to encourage you to do that. And with this verse, and let me read it one more time, verse 13. Moses is going to summarize this uh, plan of redemption that God has. God, you have led us, you have provided for us in your steadfast love, the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode, to safety in you. So we need to build this truth into our hearts, okay? So three places that we're going to go with this. Uh, Moses reveals this truth about God in his, his mission of redemption and inspiration and intervention and his, in his instrument. So he's going to reveal the ins, inspiration God has for redemption. He's going to reveal the way his method of intervention, and he's going to tell us about the instrument that he uses to bring us into that safe place. So uh, this revealed inspiration, right at the beginning of 13, he says, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. Before we get right into that, um, I want to bring up something that Tyler often does when we're wrestling over the direction to go. Uh, and when we're making big decisions about the church, uh, almost invariably, um, I'll be talking about all these different ideas and thoughts about this and on and on and on. And I can see Tyler's mind just sort of focusing in and he's, he's getting ready. When I finish talking, he's going to say something like, what we need to do, Scott, first is understand the why. We need to talk about why this is what we need to do. What is the reason behind this? Not all the other stuff around it. What's the reason? And then let's figure out the what and the how and the who. And so he, he always brings us back to that uh, important conversation. And that's what is happening here. Moses is showing us the inspiration 
that God has. Now, we know that in the end, God's goal is for himself to be glorified. The very best place that anyone, any part of creation can be is glorifying God. But on the way to that place, God is best glorified in redeeming us. His plan of redemption for us brings him joy and puts us in a place of honoring and and glorifying him. And therefore, God is inspired to redeem us. The inspiration of God is to redeem his people who are lost. And that story is uh, figuratively uh, or metaphorically unfolded in the Hebrew people, but very specifically also with them and specifically with us. So here's a quick definition of redemption. It's to purchase freedom at a price. All right? Redemption is to purchase freedom at a price. And our redemption is what is inspiring the God of the universe. So a couple of things that are really important to understanding that, uh, that redemption is, the first one is this. It is, uh, I'll say it's powered by his steadfast love. And you saw that word in that, that passage in Exodus as well. Moses says, you have led us, you have brought us out in your steadfast love. And that's a word that, if you've been around the Bible, is going to be something you hear often. Uh, steadfast love is one little word. Uh, in Hebrew, it's hesed. But the, that phrase, steadfast love, is used throughout the Scripture. It's a foundational truth about God. It's never outside of his character. He will always sustain things through his, through his uninterrupted and perfect love. Uh, yesterday, I had the privilege of going on a bike ride with a bunch of friends down in Hartman's, and it was awesome. It was a beautiful day. It was a morning like this. If you're here in Crested Butte, you can uh, feel it out there. Uh, and we did a loop that I have never done. Maybe you've done it, the Aberdeen Loop, way out in the back in the south, and they just opened it this week. And so there were 10 of us, perfectly uh, matched to the uh, social health orders, and of course we rode six feet apart. And so we were riding this long climb, and it, I, I knew I was going to talk about this. This is my, uh, this is a bike chain that will soon go on my bike. I'm pretty sure I can open this package. Um, but this, I was thinking, uh, as I, I'm getting pretty greasy. <laughs> <laughs> These pages are going to be easy to hold on to you now. Um, I was cranking up this long hill with all these friends uh, in the enormous power of these magnificent quads was being pressed through the cranks and transferred through the chain. <laughs> I don't know if you can see these because I don't know what the picture looks like. but um, they can't. The, Yeah, <laughs> they can't. Not only can you not see them uh, on, in the frame here, but they are, can't be seen anyway, um, even when I have shorts on. But anyway, without a chain, I'm, I'm riding up and thinking, without this chain, this would be so miserable, just lugging this bike up this hill. There's, you don't really have a bike without a chain. The chain is what connects the power to the rear wheel, right? So uh, there is one other little thing about it. It's not just the chain, but in this case, uh, it's these tiny little pins that you have to have, and each one of those pens holds these links together. And without those pens, you're, you're not going anywhere. You have to have those pens. This is sort of like that bottom line that 
that thing that must be there in order for the other thing to happen. And so what I'm saying is that uh, God's redemption is powered by, it's connected by, it's, it's, it demands and re- it requires the stead, his steadfast love for it to happen. It's, the, it's the, the chain in what's going on. I probably shouldn't put that on the floor. There you go. Thank you. Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, uh, God's steadfast love is essential to redemption, and we see that where, where it's told us by Moses. But there's another piece of redemption we have to understand that's critical, and it fits into God's love. And it's justice. Justice is inseparable from redemption. And it's part of his steadfast love. Uh, Love doesn't let anything happen. Uh, Despite what we do, God is faithful in his love. But the cost of what we do, the cost of our sin and rebellion requires consequences. Justice is required. Actually, steadfast love doesn't make sense without there being a time of rebellion that must, that justice is required of. Uh, And that's why we say that God loved us so much that he sent his son to redeem us. See, steadfast love and its companion justice are what the gospel is all about. And they go together. We can't have one without the other. And if you read all of what's around the passages we're looking at in Deuteronomy, in uh, Exodus, you'll see that the hesed, the steadfast love of God, is also balanced by the judgment that has to come uh, upon people who rebel and reject him. So uh, we have steadfast love that is essential, that is what connects his heart, his, power, his uh, passion for redemption to the actual thing that's happening in that. And then we also have this, uh, this justice that goes seamlessly with it. So God reveals uh, his inspiration redemption of his people through Moses. And then we see how God would intervene. So point two, intervention. Let me read to you Deuteronomy 7, 8, and 9. The Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant in steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Now I'm hoping as I was reading that, some words were popping out in your mind that I have already talked about this morning that you saw in Exodus, which is just written a little bit before this. Um, His intervention is by covenant or by treaty. Uh, there's a gap between us, our rebellion, our sin, our rejection of the one true God that we cannot cross and God wants to close it for us. And so he says, I will do this for you and you will do this. He creates a treaty, a covenant with us. And he created one with them, a special one uh, that Moses reveals. And, and uh, he says, you can have relationship with me through this means. All right. Now, two things about covenant that I want you to see, that this uh, way that God is intervening to have relationship with us. One, I, I think this is, this is maybe one of the most beautiful pieces of it, and that is that it is infinitely unbalanced. 
This is the God of the universe making a tr- who has all power making a treaty with people who have no power, right? And if you, if you really think about the magnitude of, of that concept, it, it's a little bit mind-blowing. The creator, the one who is above all things, has condescended in love to make relationship with us. And he didn't have to do it. He offers those who have rebelled against him and rejected him the opportunity to come into relationship. So he gives amazing rights to those who should have no rights whatsoever. And later in history, we're going to see God pay the price to connect those two people together on his own. He's going to pay for this covenant that he is creating himself. So the beauty is this good God who is willing to create a covenant with people who do not deserve it and make the bridge in order for it to be reality. And here's the other thing about covenant. Uh, He will not break his covenant with you. He will not break his covenant with the Israelite people. And Moses makes that clear. Who breaks the covenant? The Israelite people. Who breaks the covenant? We do. Their macro story, as I read it, and over and over in the scripture, uh, the story is told. I released you from Egypt. I provided a way for you to have relationship. And I made a covenant with you, and you broke it. And then it's told again, and it's told again. That macro story of the Hebrew people sounds like my daily life. It's like my micro story is their macro story. It's just over and over and over. Just like Tyler prayed today, even before we came to the nine o'clock this morning, we have rebelled, we have thought, we have placed ourselves in a, in a position of uh, rejection of the good God of the universe. Um, but it's because of his passion to redeem us and his steadfast love that he persists on our behalf and he intervenes with a covenant. And that's what Moses reveals to the people of Israel on their way to this promised land. So we have the inspiration that is redemption, and we have this intervention, which is covenant. And then finally, uh, the third is the instrument of redemption. What Moses does, I think, is he's he's not a uh, traditional prophet in the sense that we have a book that is just his uh, story and words of his prophetic information, right? In part of the story of Israel, he's not, um, he's not a writing prophet in that sense. But what he does do is uh, he sets the stage. You can almost picture the stage of a play. And he, he creates that space and he puts the props out. He, he brings the character list uh, and he brings, invites people in to hear the story. And then what he does is uh, in, in that he says, uh, we are going to be looking forward now to someone who will take center stage. All of this covenant, all of this understanding of why God's doing this story, this play of redemption that is being unfolded before us is looking forward to one person who is going to be the central focus. And so we move a little bit further down in Deuteronomy and uh, Moses by God's uh, uh, inspiration, calls this person the prophet. And this, so this is Deuteronomy 18, 18 and 19. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. 
And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. From that day forward, Israel was looking for the prophet. Uh, This was uh, started in the time of Moses and went all the way through the time of Jesus. Uh, They were looking for the particular prophet. Uh, And Jesus was that prophet. And I want to read to you from John uh, 1, 43 to 46. Uh, This is the situation where uh, Jesus is first calling his disciples. So he's just gathered a couple of them together. And uh, so uh, Philip goes to get a friend of his and says, what I want to do is I want to take you and introduce you to Jesus. And here's how that unfolds. So John 1, 43 to 46. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and he said to him, follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Well, Philip went and he found Nathanael and he said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. His name is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. There are several places in the New Testament where Jesus will either claim to be that person, the prophet, or uh, people will say, oh, it's him. And so uh, uh, the instrument of God's mercy, of his redemption, is Jesus. The instrument has arrived. He is the main character that Moses was setting the stage for back in Deuteronomy. So we see this whole plan unfolding so many years ago, this, this plan of redemption. So what you see is inspiration, intervention, and in the instrument, who is Jesus. And another way to look at that is to see the why and the what and the who. It's like that question that Tyler always asks me, what's, what's the reason we're doing this before we get to how we're going to work it out? The why and the what and the who. Redemption covenant in Jesus. And Moses provides the, uh, the stage, the setting, everything so that we can see Jesus arrive. And what I want to do is, uh, is just cl- close with this thought. And that passage with Philip and Nathaniel, I think, is, is amazing, uh, especially because of the ending. When you look at the words of Philip uh, at, to Nathaniel, Nathaniel has just said, hey, uh, Philip, what, what good comes out of Nazareth? I mean, that's the backwoods. That, that, nothing good can come out of that place. And then Philip says, just come and see. Uh, so what I want to encourage you to do is knowing this information, hearing what was set up for us so many years ago. Because of that, come and see Jesus. The stage has been set. Uh, God has used Moses to make him clear to us. So come and see him. Friends, come and see Jesus. He is your peace with God. He is our peace with God now. He fulfills the covenant for us. So if you will, 
Pray with me, and then we're going to sing one last song, and we'll be finished. Father, what a blessing to uh, have the comfort of your words, to see the promise unfold, to see your passion for us, to understand the, the depth of your, uh, the, the power of your steadfast love. Lord, we honor you, and we bring glory to you today, and because of all that, we step forward to look and see Jesus And I pray that we would have the response uh, that those early disciples had. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.